Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, Really excited to be here today. We're at the end of June. For all of those rising seniors out there, if you haven't yet done anything related to your college application, there's no time like the present. You want to come out of the end of this summer with your main essay done if you're applying to any schools that require one or any of the common app schools and with that common application completed if you possibly can. So get on it if you haven't yet. Very quickly, do not forget to review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, The more reviews we get, the more people can find us. So if you have a minute today and you can go online and do that, parents, for all of those, I just prompted your kids to be working on their college applications. feels like a lovely time for you to give us a great review on Apple Podcasts. Um, We are going to be talking quite a bit today about highly selective scholarship programs. So I definitely want you to stay tuned for those two segments. But before we get to that, I want to talk about buy now, pay later, which is all the rage and which seems to be ensnaring many young people in its grip. Um, And joining me for that conversation is Michelle Richardson, my colleague here at College Coach, also a former financial aid officer at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and um, a former VP at uh, Sally May and Chase Student Loans. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Beth. Thanks for joining today. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to talk about these buy now, pay later programs, which I feel like I started to see a lot of during the pandemic. But for all I know, they've been around for much longer. But why don't you tell us what are the buy now, pay later programs? Sure. So, you know, just like you said in the beginning, these are really kind of all the rage. I mean, if you do any online shopping anymore, it's really hard to not be um, directed uh, towards one of the buy now, pay later uh, programs. And they're really point of sale installment loans. Um, some of us might remember the old, you know, layaway program where, you know, you would buy something and then you'd have to make installment payments. And at that point with those programs, you, you didn't get to take the items home until you paid for them in full, you know, that's kind of one of the great things if you look at it that way with buy now, pay later, because you can get that instant gratification with your purchase. So you really get to take home the item or items before you technically have to pay for them in full. Right. I mean, nobody is about delayed gratification anymore. It is all about get it now. And how can we get it now? Uh, So what is what's your sense of why retailers are offering these programs? Because it does seem a little silly. We all have credit cards. um, So in theory, you could use those to get it now and pay for it later. And then there was layaway, which seemed to work really well. So why these new programs? Well, you know, retailers love these programs because honestly, they are selling more and (laughs) are selling more higher ticket items. Um, There was a a recent uh, report from RBC Capital markets where they said the buy now pay later options actually increase retail conversion rates 20 to 30 percent um which and it lifts the average ticket size up 30 to 50 percent so maybe instead of me spending two hundred dollars i might now spend four hundred dollars because i can make i can pay for I could pay $100 at that point in time and then pay the next $300 in the next four weeks, eight weeks, two months, whatever the program. And uh, and it doesn't seem so daunting. And 
quite honestly, to your comment about credit cards, yes, we, you know, for the most part, most of us do have credit cards. Um, but the great thing about these programs is the retailers are actually paying for them. Um, you're not charged interest if you make the payments, you know, for the purchase on time and as directed with the program. Yeah, that is, um, that's something I didn't fully understand. I actually happen to be listening to Planet Money. I don't know if our listeners have ever heard of Planet Money, but it's an NPR um, podcast. And um, I did an interview with them the other day. They didn't use any of it. I wound up on the cutting room floor and I'm not mad about it at all. But (laughs) (laughs) I did end up hearing, um, I did end up finding the podcast and listening and they were talking about exactly that piece of the buy, buy now, pay later programs, which is just, if you keep up on the payments, it doesn't cost you anything in theory. Um, what are, you know, since we're talking about these, what are some widely known by now pay later programs, um, maybe listeners might've heard of, or even used at this stage? Sure. Some of the more common ones, and there's usually, well, right now there was around two dozen, but we recently, I just read, we had another one kind of pop into the market last week, which I think because of the growth of this program, we're going to see more people enter the market. But you might have heard of entities like Affirm, Klarna, Afterpay, Sezzle. Um, most of us have heard of PayPal. Um, Zip is another one. Um, and interestingly enough, last week, one of the new players that I read about was Apple. Instead of Apple Pay, it's called Apple Pay Later. Huh. Brilliant. <laughs> yes, that is a, exactly. That is as good a title as you could come up for, with for something, right? Uh, the right. good name. It's exactly what you know, you know exactly what it is there. So that's hilarious. Right. Um, and I could see that that might be in my future. I do use Apple Pay a fair amount, but I am going to try to avoid Apple Pay later. Um, I want to pay it now. That's my goal. <laughs> but that does bring me to my next question, which is why are we talking about these programs? And in particular, why are we talking about them on this podcast, which is really more about college and for college age students, things like that? Sure. Well, um, obviously we do personal finance and and talk about it in our paying for college and and our building financial independence programs. Um, But why this is uh, relevant is there's just an extreme uptick in growth in this market, especially with 18 to 24 year olds. And, you know, quite honestly, it, it makes sense because um, while when I was in college many years ago, that was back in the day when you went to the department store, you went to the store, and if you signed up for that credit card, you got 20, 25% off, right? Yep. Well, now these programs are, are kind of taking over. And so it's a little bit well, not a little bit. It's a lot easier to spend more money um, if you pay in installments, and um, especially for maybe um, an item or um, that you wouldn't pay for, you don't have the funds to pay for now, but you want it now. Um, so there's been, um, and you had mentioned earlier in the in the pandemic, uh, a significant increase because of the online shopping at that yep. point. And um, actually, there was a 61% growth in buy now, pay later programs for 18 to 24 year olds from March of 2020 to March of 2021. Wow. And we're continuing to see in the market that increase. And so, you know, I think it's important as we know, paying for college is expensive, but, um, you know, young adults often don't have the financial skills um, that maybe they need to realize that they could really get themselves into trouble if they tend to overextend themselves with these easily accessible programs. Yeah, and I'm um, I'm living proof of how, quite honestly, dumb college students can be about things like their finances. I got a credit card when I was in college, um, freely given by uh, there was people at a table outside of, you know, the dining hall, and I signed up for a credit card, and then promptly put spring break for my. <laughs> 
freshman year of college on that credit card, which you might not be surprised to learn was not the smartest thing I've ever done. And, um, and I got myself, it wasn't an extraordinarily high amount of money. It was not an expensive trick, but I still put that money on my credit card and had a tough time paying it off. So I can imagine that it would be not difficult for college students to get into trouble with this. Um, one, one question I think that goes along with this is, is, um, these buy now, pay later programs are unsecured lines of credit. So what does that mean about, are they reported to credit bureaus? Can you get yourself in trouble in terms of your overall credit history, um, by using these programs or abusing these programs, probably more importantly? Uh, yes. So great question. So um, initially, these programs have not been reported to credit bureaus. Um, a lot of the, the programs will do what they call, they may not do any sort of credit check when they approve the purchase, or they might do like a, a soft credit pull that wouldn't hurt your, your credit score, or mm -hmm. for maybe younger adults that don't have a lot of credit history, um, where if they applied for a credit card, they may get denied, but then it's a lot easier to get kind of approved with these buy now, pay later programs. But one thing that we did start seeing uh, the spring of this year is the fact that the three credit bureaus, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian um, have either started or are going to start reporting these. Mm. Um, and honestly, credit card companies are are not happy with these programs because it's it's taking away market share from them. Um, and just like if you don't pay a credit card, yes, you could run into credit trouble um, and negative uh, derogatory information on a credit report since some of these programs are now going to be reported on the on the three credit bureaus so you do need to to be careful because they are lines of credit yeah but i suppose on the flip side of that um if you don't have a lot of credit history would a could a buy now pay later program hap, actually help increase a credit score for for a young adult Actually, yes. In fact, I, I read an article that talked about if um, an individual has maybe two accounts on their credit report or credit history less than 24 months, by opening and having the buy now, pay later program reported on their credit report, it actually increased their FICO score mm -hmm. by around 20 points. So, um, so that can be a good thing. It's just like anything financial, you know, you can't overextend, um, or overspend, um, and, you know, cause in the end you'll end up paying for it one way or, or the other, but it can be a, a great way to, um, purchase something, um, and help build credit. Right. Just don't do it too much. Don't buy exactly. too many things, right? That's the key. Um, I could I could see myself getting in trouble with this in college as well because there was no good shopping where I was um, at all. The the closest place to get, you know, something cute to wear out at night was a good hour hour and a half drive away. And of course, that's all changed. And um, all of the young people listening to this are saying, "What's she even talking about? Drive to buy something? That's craziness." I know. Going um, to the mall, right? <laughs> yeah. Embarrassingly enough, yes, that's what I was thinking. The closest mall was about an hour, hour and a half away. Right. Um, okay. Well, final thoughts on these buy now, pay later programs. Um, good idea, bad idea. Proceed with caution. Um, I, I think the proceed with caution is is kind of great um, advice. Uh, the buy now, pay later programs, you know, can be beneficial for some purchases and and for some um, consumers uh, while you know it can be very tempting to maybe buy an expensive handbag or the latest technology but um, I think a, a good key point is to um, make sure that before you spend the money or do a buy now pay later program that you actually have the funds maybe in your checking or savings account to cover um, 
the expense. Yeah. Um, you know, so recently I, for example, I did a buy now pay later. I, we put new carpeting in our home and, you know, we had the money and savings, but why not take advantage of, of 12 months, zero interest. And, you know, even yep. though we're not earning a lot of interest, but it, you know, is easier to cash flow and you're not dipping into that savings and, uh, by making the, the payments. So, you know, they're, they, um, can be great programs, but I, I think like anything, you just have to, to be careful and not overextend. Yep. Words to live by. Um, Michelle, thank you so much for joining today. I'm really happy that we talked about these programs because um, I am seeing them everywhere and, and I think interesting to learn more about them, especially the fact that they're now going to be um, subject to impacting your credit report, which is news to me and um, possibly to our listeners. So thanks for joining today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. All right, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to be talking about the Moorhead Kane Scholarship, which you may or may not have heard about, but we're going to share more about that. Um, so don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. College admissions can be stressful but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I promised at the top of the show that we were going to talk about selective scholarships today, and um, I always make good on my promises. And so the first one we're going to talk about is the Moorhead Kane. And joining me for that is Tim Cheney, who happens to be the director of recruitment and selection for the Moorhead Kane. So there's literally no one more perfect to speak with about this than Tim. Hi, Tim. Hi, Beth. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, we're thrilled to have you on um, and to give us kind of the, the real deal on this scholarship. And I'd like to start with something super basic, which is what actually is the Moorhead Kane Scholarship? Uh, well, it's, um, it's a terrific question. Um, <laughs> in, in fact, because uh, we are best known as a scholarship. Um, however, uh, we like to think of it as not just any scholarship. It's a full scholarship to the University of North Carolina, but that doesn't really tell the full story of Moorhead Kane. Uh, we are as much a program or experience as we are a scholarship. Uh, we offer life-changing experiences and um, immersion in a dynamic student body at a world-class university. We couple that with lifetime membership and connection to an unparalleled community of Moorhead Canes that live around the world. We also provide our scholars with four distinct and transformational experiences around the world each summer, ranging from outdoor leadership and civic collaboration to things like global perspectives and professional experiences, all of which are timed to best support scholars through their undergraduate journeys. 
The scholar experience is also augmented with discovery fund grants here to help maximize their learning and their exploration. And additionally, Moorhead Kane scholars are fortunate to be supported by a team of dedicated and talented advisors that both guide and challenge them to reach their fullest potential. That's Moorhead Kane. Well, all right. So what I'm hearing from all of that is that essentially you're not just going to fund them in going to college. They're joining a full-on program that will kind of reach into all facets of their college experience and beyond and really support them once they've graduated. Is that accurate? Precisely. We, we are that community within a community. Um, and uh, it, it matters very much to us how we think about and curate um, all aspects of the foundation's work from the work I do specifically with selection to that that um, our advisors do in supporting students through their undergraduate years, um, our partnership with the university. Um, all of that is really important. And um, it is not just about having uh, your semester tuition installment paid or posted, or as we do it here, it's check day. Um, very old fashioned. Um, students come and they pick up their checks, uh, which cover all of their expenses for each of, of their semesters as they pass through. And, and actually, just to not to belabor the point, but it covers all their expenses. Um, does that mean it covers everything that the university would charge them for? Is there any type of a stipend, spending money, things like that? Or it's really mostly it's covering the college bills? It, it is essentially a, and fees. So, um, Got it. so, so there, there it's full plus and, um, you know, the plus is a big part of our summer experiences, um, all of which aren't exactly the same in terms of cost, um, or expectation, but it, it we, we cover essentially everything, um, that an undergraduate student would need as a function of their, of, of their particular experience. Got it. Okay. Next question. Um, I know some scholarships students have to be nominated. What's the process? Can anybody apply for the Moorhead Kane? And, and how does that happen? How does that process work? Well, uh, we are both. Um, we are a nominating program. However, uh, we have a different and, and very important relationship with North Carolinians. So anyone can apply from North Carolina and also from Canada and the UK. However, outside of those regions, we are a nominating program. So students first need to be attending a nominating school or they need to be connected to an affiliate partner like the Bezos Scholars Program, Academic Success Program, Boys and Girls Clubs of America, for instance. Nominating schools um, have the capacity to nominate up to two candidates each year. Once nominated, students are then invited to complete an application, which typically goes live in August each year. Our application is different than Common App. Um, students must complete an entirely separate and original application to be considered for Moorhead Kane. Students also need to submit an application to UNC. Admission to UNC is separate from Moorhead Kane. So, so there's a little bit of both in there. Um, mm -hmm. In North Carolina, we still have schools nominate, but any student can also self-nominate and step into the process should they choose to. Okay, that's really helpful. Um, couple of questions. Do the people, you and your team, do you see their application to UNC? So if you had an essay, say that you wrote for your common application, that really would work brilliantly with the Moorhead Kane application. Um, is it problematic to use the same essay for both um, because you would be seeing that other application? Uh, great question. One, we do not. We do not see anything that goes on um, with regard to the application that they submit to the university. That said, it would be highly unlikely um, that an essay would be recycled in such a manner uh, because uh, of the structure of our own application. It's, it's very specific and nuanced, and the writing we are seeking is, is not particularly um, in line with what they may produce as a function of a common app essay. So, um, so we generally don't have any concerns about um, overlap in that regard, um, and regardless, we do not see um, or have inside knowledge of what they submit as part of their applications to UNC. 
Got it. And I mean, that's really helpful, though, also for students who are thinking about this. If you have an essay that you've written for the Common App and you feel like, oh, this would be perfect, perhaps you want to rethink it because in listening to you, Tim, it sounds like what you're looking for wouldn't be what you would do for the main essay. So if that's your gut instinct, your instinct might be wrong if you're thinking, oh, I can reuse this specific essay. Um, My next question would be, how frequent is it that you um, accept someone for the Moorhead Cane and they don't get into UNC? It's very infrequent. Um, Generally speaking, the the nature of our work is so layered, um, complex, and and deep that uh, we are seeking um, to discover extraordinary students who um, have proven they have um, really excellent attributes that are often uh, in, in great alignment with what the university is seeking. Mm-hmm. So it is ultimately um, very rare. Um, and we communicate that clearly or as clearly as we can as a function of process so that students understand um, that while there is a very clear link and connection, um, we, we stand in service to the mission of the university. Uh, but we are distinct and separate, um, as is um, admission in the process that the undergraduate um, admission office runs here at UNC. Got it. Got it. Um, That's very helpful to understand. Um, I feel like I see a lot of chatter on um, some counselor-based Facebook groups around um, another very prominent scholarship program that similarly you have to get into the school Um, and their process is separate. And we see students moving forward in the scholarship program and then not getting in with a little bit more regularity than what you're suggesting for this. It's not as rare is, I guess, my point. And so that's always a little, that's that's, uh, not an ideal situation when that happens. Um, But back to the Moorhead Cane, more importantly, that other scholarship is not your problem and that you're not doing that work. When... (laughs) When you're looking, you mentioned, you know, you're looking to uncover real extraordinary student. What's the most important criteria um, in your process? Or could you even pull out one that is more important than the rest? Well, I I mean, I'll give I'll give you all of them and kind of underscore what I think uh, really drives uh, the the greatest amount of our attention in the, in the review and selection process. So we have four pillars that guide our thinking and selection process, which are scholarship, uh, physical vigor, leadership, and character. Uh, scholarship and physical vigor are thresholds for us. Um, naturally, it's extremely important for us to be seeking out um, outstanding students. Um, and, and we do that and we see that Um, However, we don't spend an enormous amount of time debating the particulars of uh, someone's transcript or what class they might be taking relative to another student um, who's who's in the process. Physical vigor is is something that was very important to our founder and remains very important to us as we want students to uh, be active um, and engaged in Um, areas that we feel support um, important attributes like teamwork and uh, perseverance in the face of failure. And um, often that's through the the lens of athletics, but it's not exclusive to athletics. Um, And it doesn't mean that somebody has to be captain of the varsity sports team um, that they might be um, affiliated with. It just means that they need to be active and committed to a healthy lifestyle um, during their high school experience. Where we spend the majority of our time and where it gets really interesting for us is around the concepts of leadership and character. That's what really means the most to us. And that's where we invest the most um, uh, time and attention in thinking about how we invite and advance candidates forward in the process. Um, So leadership and character um, are are without question um, the most important um, attributes for us. I say that, however, reminding people that that's not at a discount to scholarship. Of course. Um, It's in addition to scholarship. It's very important uh, that all candidates moving forward demonstrate a capacity to be not only admitted, but to be successful at UNC and to thrive in the breadth and depth of the academic community here. 
Um, so that's a really important threshold for us to think about. So once they've made that, we then uh, dive in deeper to areas of leadership and character and, and really think long and hard about that. Got it. And, and um, that mirrors, I think, what um, a bit what I used to do when I did admissions at Penn, but obviously it's more intense, smaller group of people looking for, I mean, you're choosing so few for the program. Can you walk us through how the selection process works? So we already talked about if you're from North Carolina, you can self-nominate um, or from the UK or Canada. I'm not the UK. Yeah, the UK or international and Canada. You could self-nominate and apply. Um, if you're from the US at large, not from North Carolina, you need to be nominated. So we see that part. And I know there's an application. You complete the application, submit it. What happens then? Yeah, so, well, let me just kind of back it up a little bit, and I'll try and kind of lay it out in a step-by-step process. So uh, let's start with either nomination or self-nomination if you're from uh, North Carolina, uh, the UK, or Canada. Uh, After that, um, students would be invited to submit a written application, which would be due October 1. Um, Applications that are received are then evaluated by the Moorhead Kane team. Uh, Those candidates we feel that are most compelling would then be invited to advance to our round of semifinalists, where they will complete an asynchronous online video interview. From there, um, our team goes into another um, stage of review, and the most compelling candidates in the semifinalist round will be named finalists and invited to participate virtually in what we now call our final selection experience. (laughs) Um, this now takes place in early February. Um, and candidates uh, will participate um, in final selection experience in both group and individual assessments. And from there, we will select our recipients. Recipients will be notified and invited to campus for an in-person discovery weekend experience that showcases the breadth and depth of UNC the Moorhead Kane Foundation, Chapel Hill, um, and each other. Uh, we typically offer around 90 awards and enroll about 75 scholars in each incoming class. So that's a, that's a, a, a quick synopsis of a, a very uh, layered um, and, and what may seem to be a complex process for candidates that continue to advance from stage to stage. Right. No, it's super helpful, though. And I I think a couple of key things that occur to me as I listen to that, which is um, it's you're in it for the long haul. So if you are going to apply for this program, you need to recognize that that precludes doing early decision if you're invested in this happening, because you're not going to be able to commit to anywhere else um, before you hear from the Moorhead Kane. Um, and that really, it sounds to me like you're not going to land on campus until you already know you have it. So everything that you're able to do prior to that, you're not going to have to travel or go anywhere um, until you've actually won the scholarship. And then at that point, it turns into you wooing them rather than the other way around, um, which is always the fun part. Yeah, a point of clarification, the, mm-hmm. we, we do um, permit candidates to apply early decision. Okay. Um, it, it obviously would mean that if they are um, offered admission to a college university that had a binding early program, that they would need to accept that offer, all things you know, being met, uh, that they, uh, they're expecting financial aid, et cetera. And then they would, they would withdraw from our process at that juncture. Um, at the same time, you know, some candidates may be deferred um, or they could be denied um, and they would certainly continue on in our process. So we do allow them that opportunity. Uh, As for kind of the in-person piece, there was maybe a little bit more of an emphasis on that as we kind of come out of the pandemic, at least I hope we're coming out of the pandemic. And um, we have have changed things from having an on-campus in-person kind of evaluative interview weekend to doing it virtually and then inviting recipients. So what we learned this past year was that uh, candidates who had received the scholarship 
and then came to campus, entered into campus and connected with their peers in a very different way that we found to be really valuable and they found to be really valuable than had they been coming to quote unquote compete mm. for um, a scholarship among a, a larger group um, who was actively going through an interview and selection process that was highly evaluative. What it afforded us the chance to do was to um, make more connections with their peer group. We were able to showcase more of UNC and talk about academic programs and engage with our alumni in meaningful ways that kind of, you know, it really took the edge off for a lot of our, our candidates and there was a lot of positive feedback. All of that being said, that's all part of the formal process. We still see many students that do come and visit once they've been nominated. Um, should their plans um, permit it, depending on when they may be visiting colleges and whatnot. So we have a regular kind of turnstile of visitors coming to look, see and examine and learn more, regardless of the official stage they may be in process. Um, so we aren't, I just want to give the, I don't want to give the image that we're closed off to everybody until, yes. but that's the big you know, when we have, um, you know, we have nearly, this year we had nearly 90% of our recipients joined us for our in-person discovery weekend amidst the challenging kind of um, health and safety uh, backdrop. And it was, it was, a, it was a great success and, and really um, important for us to see how it unfolded in ways that supported the scholar experience um, as we think about their launch and entry into their first year. Wonderful. Tim, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Um, I appreciate the invitation and uh, look forward to, uh, to learning more about the good work you and your team are doing. Oh, well, thank you so much. And good luck to you guys at the Moorhead Kane and keep doing the amazing work you all are doing. Um, we are going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some other scholarship programs that might be in the same vein as a Moorhead Kane. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We have been talking about highly selective scholarships, specifically the Moorhead Kane, but we're going to talk a little bit more about these um, in this next segment. And... Fittingly, joining me is my colleague, Christine Kenyon, who happens to be uh, not only a former admissions officer from Babson, but a former, former scholarship reviewer and interviewer for both UNC Chapel Hill and Duke, and which UNC Chapel Hill, you might be thinking, hey, that's the Moorhead Kane. Well, guess what? Christine was someone who did some scholarship application review and interviewing for the Moorhead Kane itself. Hi, Christine. Hi, Beth. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, your background is perfect for this conversation. Um, and I guess I would love to start with, you know, we just had um, Tim on, who is the director of selection 
Um, for the Moorhead Kane, um, I, he's relatively new to that position. I think he's been there for a year or two. You obviously have been with College Coach for longer than a year or two, so I know the two of you did not overlap there. But, I mean, tell me a little bit about what that what that was like, the, the overall the scholarship um, things that you have done in, in your career. Yeah, so I've been lucky enough to kind of experience the scholarship process um, in each admissions office that I've worked in. So at Babson, I worked closely with our Weissman Scholarship Program, which is the full tuition scholarship program um, there, as well as some scholarship students for a, an alumni um, endowed scholarship for students from Texas. Um, and I did work at the Moorhead Kane Foundation, as well as uh, the Robertson, which is like a joint scholarship between students at UNC and students at Duke. Um, so it's, it's fun to be speaking about this because the scholarship review process is a little bit more in depth, um, it kind of like on top of the regular admission process mm-hmm. when it comes to applying to this caliber of scholarships, you know, these full tuition, fully funded, usually they have summer stipends, like these are big scholarships, right? And so it was really interesting um, when I lived in North Carolina to uh, work for the Robertson and the Moorhead Kane and and just sort of see the volume that they got that demanded its own application, its own um, essays and um, all that went into it before they selected the scholars. And, and you know, this leads me to my first question. And um, I'm always intrigued by this because I do see um, in my work, and I certainly saw when I was at Penn, while the most of the students who applied to Penn were certainly students who could do the work, I would say that there definitely was a chunk of the applicant pool who really weren't overly competitive for Penn. And I'm curious with these highly selective scholarships where there is typically um, a, a fairly intense process where you are writing quite a few essays often um, in addition to interviews and things like that. Would you say that the pool itself is fairly self-selected, as in the students applying tend to be pretty qualified for these, or is it all over the map? No, it's exactly what you said. The, the students we saw in these pools were pretty phenomenal um, across the board, I think in part because it takes a lot of work to apply to them, you know, multiple additional essays, um, letters of recommendation specifically geared towards why the student would be a good fit for this specific scholarship, plus interviews and whatnot. Um, And so in my experience, the students who applied were pretty phenomenal. And um, at least with the Moorhead K, and there was also an additional component where um, they needed support from their high school. Um, And so that alone kind of really tailored the applicants to the Moorhead Kane uh, scholarship to to be uh, pretty impressive since high schools would only nominate, you know, two students or so. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of difficult because every student who applied was really very academically strong, really compelling. Um, it was challenging. Yeah. And I think it just really does highlight as appealing, incredibly appealing as a scholarship is where they're covering cost and offering you a summer stipend and all these interesting things to do. It's important to note that these really are incredibly selective and that this the pool is probably even more impressive than it is at the most selective schools in the country because, um, you know, it's such a, a smaller group of students willing to jump through all the hoops to um, to apply for for some of these. So we mentioned there's the Robertson, um, there's the Jefferson at UVA. You mentioned the Weissman um, at Babson. There are some others. Um, uh, we're Montana we're very State. focused. Yes. Okay. Give us a few others that, that yeah. you're thinking about. Montana State has the Presidential Scholarship, which is really. Um, extensive, the Matlick Scholarship, Matlitch Scholarship at the University of Puget Sound. Um, these are all, you know, full tuition awards, really robust scholarships um, that have programmatic elements to them as well. Um, the Anika Rod- Rodriguez Scholarship at WashU. WashU has a couple of different scholarships. So there, there are a number of these programs where um, the student needs to apply separately and thoughtfully for the scholarship and really articulate why they're a good fit for the program beyond the fact that 
they would really appreciate being fully funded <laughs> and right, getting this exactly. scholarship. <laughs> exactly. And it's unlikely, I would think, that a student would be applying for really more than one, maybe two of these in total, um, if that. You know, it, it's probably a situation where you do really want to focus your efforts um, and if you're going to apply to one of these, just make sure that, A, it's really truly a fit for you and your goals and the things you want to do. You know, as Tim was sharing, the Moorhead Kane is a full-on program that lasts all four years and then has a whole alumni component to it where you're still being supported as an alum. They want to make sure you're really a fit for their what they're looking for and you want to make sure you're a fit when you're applying because otherwise you're going to be in a program that doesn't really mesh with who you are. And yep, you're being fully funded, but you're not going to get much out of the rest of it um, if that's the case. Correct. Um, so let me ask you this. We've talked a lot about the criteria with the Moorhead Kane. We talked about how the selection process works. I would love to get your take on what are some commonalities that you tend to see between these scholarship programs and more importantly than that, really tips for students on how to best approach all parts of the process. You know, if you're thinking you might want to apply, what are some some best practices that you would share? Yeah. So um, in many experiences, the student won't know whether or not the reviewers of the scholarship application will also be looking at their general application for the college at the same time. Um, in, in some programs I worked at, we looked at them side by side and other programs, they were completely separate. And the general application was checked later on just to sort of confirm like, yep, good to go. Um, but in that sense, I, I, I think it's so much more important to make sure that the essays that the student writes for the specific scholarship are separate and distinct from whatever they've submitted as part of their general application for admission to the university, and that it's really tailored to what the focus is of this specific program. If a university is making students jump through hoops to apply for a specific scholarship, there's usually a programmatic element um, that kind of lasts over a couple of years, and the student should really target why that speaks to them. And I think about this a lot when I think about um, the Robertson Scholarship, which is a joint scholarship for students at UNC and students at Duke. And the, the sort of big programmatic element of the scholarship is in the sophomore year, um, the students in the program swap campuses for a semester. Mm. So the students who will graduate from Duke go and live on UNC's campus, take UNC classes, they become UNC students for a full semester and vice versa. The UNC students who will graduate from there um, go to Duke. And so when we were reviewing the essays, we were trying to pick up on hints to see things like, you know, is the student comfortable being uncomfortable? Or how do they react to um, change? How do they, what are examples of situations they've been in that um, have been atypical or unusual? And, and how do they roll with these types of experiences? Because we wanted to try and understand, are they going to be okay? Are they going to embrace this opportunity to live on another campus, you know, just down the road, right. but a completely different campus experience? So I think the essay kind of really being tailored to what the program is about is extremely important. Um, I think also that when there is an interview component, which many of these types of scholarships have, uh, the student remembers that every aspect of their communication, their interaction with the university, whether it's with an undergrad student, their host who they're staying with on campus, or the first person they do a Zoom interview session with, you know, everything is being taken into account and being considered to sort of see you know, is this the type of student who's going to really embrace this opportunity and run with it? Right, right. And and that is key. Um, any specific, we have a couple of minutes, uh, not too much time, but any specific tips for, you know, one thing that Tim shared is that the process now for Moorhead Kane is essentially entirely virtual mm -hmm. until you've been offered the scholarship, at which point, you know, they you do come to campus and you meet the other students who've been admitted. Um, that's a change from when it used to be that you came to campus and you did your interviews in person. Any tips for either scenario, when you're in person or when you are, or if you're doing those virtually? 
Yeah, I think like any interview for any job, you know, you want to dress for success. So, you know, wear something that's going to make you feel empowered and um, make you feel confident going into the opportunity. Um, If you're virtual, take a look at your background to sort of see what's behind you and make sure that it's something that's sort of neutral or academic in nature. Um, It doesn't have to be anything great. You don't have to be sitting with like a library behind you or anything, but you know, don't, don't take the video interview from your bed, right? Leaning right. against your pillows. Yes. Um, so, you know, I think stuff like that can can sort of um, help in those situations. And I think any time that a student can give a specific example to highlight or illustrate the point they're making to answering a question can be really helpful. So it's a lot like how we talk about in the college essay, it's really helpful when students give a specific example and sort of paint a picture for the reader, right? It's the same thing in an interview. I can say to you, Beth, like, I'm a really patient person. Mm-hmm. But if I don't give you an example of me being really patient, um, you won't be able to make the assessment of whether or not that's true. You won't be able to really uh, identify with me, empathize with me to sort of understand, be like, oh, wow, yeah, Christine's a patient person. So I think anytime you're in an interview, Think of it like a conversation, but one in which it's important to give specific examples because that's what's going to kind of stick in the interviewer's mind, especially when they're interviewing multiple students, multiple candidates over multiple days. They're not going to remember that you said you were patient. They're going to remember the story you told about, you know, waiting an hour and a half for my three-year-old to pick out his favorite pair of running (laughs) shoes that light up like (laughs) red fire engines. You are a patient person because I can tell you definitively, I am not a patient person and I would not have done that. And my son would have gotten a total of maybe one minute to pick those out way back when. So that's a great example. Now I'm always going to remember that, whether it's true or it's not. I I have internalized that. So that is really good advice. Um, Christine, I really appreciate you joining the call today or the podcast today. Thanks so much for sharing um, what you know from your own experience. Absolutely. Happy to help. Awesome. All right. Well, next week, Sally is hosting and she's going to be talking about visiting colleges during the summer. Um, She has some tips on that. And then also we're going to be talking about colleges that meet financial need. What does that mean? Um, And so we'll be sharing a little bit more about that in the show. If you have questions for us, we're doing an upcoming Q&A. Send them in. You can send them to us on Facebook, via Instagram, at collegecoachbh, or to our email, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.